0: Today's guest is Rich Shotton. Now, you might wonder why I've bleeped out the name of my guest. It's not because he's got some strange explicit name. No, it's because obscuring his name should make this podcast more memorable. It should make you more likely to keep listening. And potentially it could even positively affect how you feel about the show. So... To learn why this effect makes messages more memorable and to hear the full name of my guest, keep listening to today's episode of Nudge. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So, listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. My guest today really needs no introduction. I've obscured his name, but I'm sure most of you know who he is. It's Richard Shotton, best-selling author of The Choice Factory, which is Easily the best behavioural science book I've read. It is also the winner of BBH's World Cup of Advertising Books and a number one Amazon bestseller. Well, he is back again with a new book called The Illusion of Choice, which I think is just as good as the first. Here he is introducing himself.
1: Uh, My name is Richard Shotton, and my speciality is applying behavioural science to marketing. So I wrote a book called The Choice Factory about five years ago, and I've just followed up with a new book called The
0: Illusion of Choice. In 2019, Cancer Research launched an ad campaign that inspired the title of this episode. Located on bus stops and billboards across the UK, viewers read the following. O-B-blank-S-blank-blank-Y is a cause of cancer. The top of the ad had the following letters. O-B-blank-S-blank-blank-Y followed by is a cause of cancer. There's an image of the ad in the show notes if you want to take a look. It's a little easier to explain if you look at the image rather than just hearing it. But at first glance of viewing or even perhaps just listening to me read out the ad, you might wonder why on earth they decided to run an ad like this. So rather than sharing actually what the cause of cancer is, they hide the answer, forcing the viewer to make a guess. Now, it's not hard to guess. Upon viewing the ad, almost everybody will quickly figure out that they are referring to obesity. So why bother with this ad? Well, it's due to something called the generation effect. It's a behavioural bias that makes ads like these far more memorable. Here's Richard to explain why.
1: The the generation effect was first studied in 1978 by Graf and Slameka, two psychologists at the University of Toronto. And in their study, they recruit 24 people, I think they were students, uh, and they split them into two groups. And some see words like rapid, um, fast, dog, cat, whatever it was. The other group see the same words, but there is a letter missing. So you might see F blank ST or D blank G. And then later on, the two psychologists ask those people to try and remember as many words as they can. And their key finding was that the group that saw the words with the letters missing, they remembered about 15% more than the groups that saw the entire words. The argument from the psychologist was that the words with the blanks in were more memorable because it involved the audience. They had to generate the answer themselves. And that act of effort made the ideas stickier. So... Simply enough, they called this the generation effect, and it is relevant to marketing for a number of reasons. I think there is a danger in marketing. You think you have to make the message so simple, so easy. You have to take all the work away from the audience so that they pay attention enough to, to process it. But what the psychologist would say would be, that's a little bit of a mistake. If your message is so easy to process, it ends up not being very memorable. Now, of course, you could quibble with this. After all, it's a 45-year-old study. It was run on students, and there was a sample of 24. So if you have a big marketing budget and you're thinking about the generation effect maybe is useful for you, you might be a bit uncomfortable about basing a big decision on such a dubious sample. So what I did... um, 2021, 2022, maybe. Uh, Mike Trahan and I went out and recruited 415 people, and we essentially reran Graf and Slameka's study. We gave people names of, of brands, whether it's banks like HSBC or cars like Porsche. Again, some people saw the full word, some people saw the word with a letter missing. And later on, we asked people to recall as much as they could and recall as many of the brands as they could. And we found that people in the full word list remembered 81% of the brands people who were in the generating group remembered 92% of the words so yes the original study has some flaws in terms of the the audience but our work which repeated it shows this is a this is a valid finding so if you're a marketer you can have confidence you can apply this and it will have a positive effect
0: just to recap here richard repeated that original test with brands in five categories Banks, cars, beauty brands, supermarkets, and electronics. And he ran the test with a much larger pool of 415 people. And the generation effect, it still worked. Reading Lamborghini, Panasonic, and HSBC made brands 14% more memorable than reading Lamborghini, Panasonic, and HSBC. So the effect boosts memorability but I couldn't help but wonder if it also boosts interest. See, a similar bias known as the Zygonic effect suggests that we're more likely to take action if something is left unknown. I wondered if people would be more likely to listen to my podcast if I obscured the answer to a question. So I tested it. A few months back, I did a podcast on the benefits of sleep. To promote the show, I did a Generation Effect-style social media post. It read... S-L-blank-blank-P is scientifically proven to make you more attractive, aid in weight loss, and reduce the risk of heart attacks. Find out why in my latest episode of Nudge. Then there was a link to the episode and you can see this post if you want to take a look at it in the show notes. So I wanted to see if the generation effect might increase the clicks on this post. Turns out it did. It did. This post, which hid the answer, which was of course sleep, well it got 13% more clicks than my average post's launching episode, which suggested that the generation effect not only works for memorability, but also works for conversion. Of course, I've run another test on the title of this very episode. My hope is that by obscuring Richard's name in the title, it will make people more likely to listen. Perhaps it even inspired you to listen. Now obviously I don't know the answer to this just yet but I will reveal the results in the next edition of my newsletter so make sure you're signed up to that to see if this episode was a hit or a flop. To do so just go to nudgepodcast.com and click newsletter to sign up. Okay so far we've covered how the generation effect boosts memorability and conversions but you might have noticed that the effect seems a little limited. Hiding a few letters in your ad is hardly a sustainable strategy But Richard says there are some smart lateral ways to apply the generation effect to still benefit from the bias. I'll share all of that after this quick break. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. All right, welcome back to the show. Here's Richard explaining how you can apply the generation effect without simply hiding some letters in your message.
1: The generation effect isn't just about removing letters. The underlying principle is you have to give your audience a little bit of work to do. So that would be applied in lots of ads. You know, Think of the classic economist ad, uh, I never read The Economist, management trainee age 42. That ad, written by David Abbott, didn't go out and say, if you don't read The Economist, you'll be a failure. Instead, they set what's essentially a little puzzle for the audience, a simple puzzle for the audience to resolve. And by the act of solving the puzzle, by communicating obliquely, it harnesses the generation effect, and it becomes much, much more memorable. Frankly, the, the underlying message in The Economist ad is a bit nasty. Now, you're a failure if you don't read this, this, this magazine. If you said it directly, you would probably annoy people. But by saying it wittily, it allows you to make an unpleasant message slightly more palatable. So, with all these studies, yes, you can take the study and directly force it onto your communications, and that will have a positive impact. But I think where behavioral science gets really interesting is where you take the insight from the existing study, but then as a martyr, you pl- apply your creative thinking. You don't see this study as a straitjacket that restricts what you do. You see it as a springboard which you can uh, apply your creativity to to get the maximum impact.
0: Like Richard says, offering a puzzle that viewers have to guess the answer to will make your message more effective. He shares more evidence of this in his book specifically a 2004 study where Rohindi Ahulawali from the University of Kansas and Robert Bernkrant from Ohio State University recruited 135 participants and showed them a series of ads. All the ads conveyed the same information, but sometimes the message was communicated through a question and other times by a statement. So in one example, the ad said, Did you know that wearing Avanti shoes can reduce your risk of arthritis? question mark whereas the other ad stated wearing avanti shoes can reduce your risk of arthritis after the participants were asked about their attitudes towards the ads on a series of nine point scales they were asked was the ad good or bad was it favorable or unfavorable was it nice or awful turns out those who had read the question version of the ad rated the brand 14 percent more positively than those who read the statement this is pretty cool Lab studies suggest that questions improve your ad, but I wanted to test this effect in the real world. So I spent $200 on a couple of Reddit ads. Now these ads try to encourage people to listen to this podcast. You might have heard about this test before, I did talk about it a while back. The ads were shown to people in the UK and the US who had interacted with marketing subreddits on Reddit. Both of the ads linked to my Apple podcast listing and I was measuring how many people would click the ad and listen to my show. The first ad, the control, had no question. It said, ditch boring business podcasts, try nudge. And next to that, I put a few of my five star reviews. You can see a picture of that ad in the show notes. The second ad was identical to the first, except the copy read, bored of boring business podcasts, question mark, try nudge. The results were incredible. The ad with the question was 15% more effective than the control ad. It drove far more people to my podcast and resulted in many, many more listeners. A 15% improvement from changing just two words and adding a question mark is seriously impressive. I was so happy with how effective the questions were that I did a whole podcast episode on that effect. And there's a link to that episode in the show notes. It's clear that engaging people in your message forcing them to take part in it, either by asking them to answer a question or getting them to attempt an answer to a puzzle, will make your communication more effective. To me, this sounded very similar to the Ikea effect. So I asked Richard if the two are linked.
1: Yeah, th- th- there's, um, that's a very good point. So you've got the generation effect, which is around memory, but then you've got, and I know this is one, you've talks about for you've got things like the ikea effect which suggests the more effort you put into a product the more you will appreciate it so that's a study from michael norton dan Ariely, and i think there might have been one other but essentially what they do is get people to take part in experiments at the end of the experiment they are shown a either a fully assembled ikea box or just the constituent parts uh, and the people who are shown the constituent parts have to put that Box together, they have to assemble it, and then everyone is asked how much they're prepared to pay to take the IKEA box home. And it's something like the order of fifty percent, but there's a fifty percent-ish improvement in valuation of the item if people have had to build it themselves. Now that doesn't just affect IKEA boxes. The psychologist repeated that study, I think, with origami birds again and again. They find if you put more effort into a product, you appreciate it more. You're prepared to pay more. So there is something interesting there for for marketers because there is a bit of a tension here. If you want to change behavior, one of the simplest routes to do that is to remove friction. Awful lot of studies show that if you take a small bit of friction out of a, um, a customer journey, it has a disproportionate outsized effect. However, the IKEA effect at first seems to contradict that. But I think it's not a contradiction. It's more solving a different problem. If you want to change behavior, remove friction. If you want to change people's perception of your of your product, then there is an argument um, for adding in a little friction. And suddenly, once you see that, I think you can look around the kind of commercial world and see all sorts of examples of products that are rated higher than their peers because they incorporate a little bit of effort. Um, I, I apologize I can't credit this, but someone pointed out that San Pellegrino is a great example of this. I can't remember who it was, but they essentially said, well, look, it, it differentiates itself. It feels more special compared to any other soft drink because it used to at least have that lovely foil lid. You had to put a bit of effort in to get to the drink. Um, corks in wine bottles. There's certainly studies that show that you know, people will appreciate wine, the same wine from a cork from a bottle with a cork rather than a bottle with a screw pad. Okay. You know? some of that will probably be uh, this
0: a uh, volume of effort that has to be put into, put into it. The cork in the wine bottle example was one I hadn't heard of before, so I read up on the study in Richard's book. He shares that the effort of removing a cork can mean we appreciate what's inside the bottle more than when it comes out of a screw-top bottle. In 2017, Spence and Wang from the University of Oxford recruited 140 participants and asked them to sample two bottles of Malbec. On one occasion they drank the wine after opening a screw top bottle and on the other occasion they were treated to a bottle with a cork. Both bottles contained the identical wine inside. The only difference was the screw top or the cork top. Even though the participants unwittingly drank the exact same wine, they rated the quality as 10% higher and the taste as 4% more intense when they had used a corkscrew to open the bottle. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's not the IKEA effect. They just perceive cork tops as being better quality because we know cork tops are more expensive. Well, the researchers thought of that, so they did a clever follow-up experiment. In their second study, people sampled two wines, but this time they didn't do the opening themselves. Instead, they heard someone else doing it. So some heard the pop of a cork being removed in another room, while others heard the noise of a screw cap being removed. In this study, the boost in perceived quality fell to just 8% and the boost in perceived flavour fell to a mere 1%. The researchers proved that the boost in ratings came from the effort of opening the bottle rather than just the general associations with corks and quality. Adding a bit of effort to your product boosts the perception of quality it's why betty crocker cakes force you to add an egg in their cake mixture and why i decide to spend 20 pounds a month on coffee that i can grind myself rather than pre-ground coffee that's half the price but at least richard let me know that i'm not alone in my irrational coffee views
1: uh, i did a study in o'nia uh, i kind of have a little bit of a joke study amongst some uh, colleagues and we serve people a variety of different coffees uh, and even though people were Self-professed coffee aficionados, a lot of people couldn't tell the difference in the fancy barista coffee, the pret, the Nero's, and the the the, even. I think I think even the instant we did. But yeah, an awful lot of taste is what we what we expect to taste.
0: Your love for home ground coffee, self stirred g and ts, and your mum's spag bowl recipe is probably less to do with flavour and more to do with the IKEA effect. We prefer things when we are involved in creating them. Taking part in the process boosts our enjoyment. It works for products and it works for ads, making cancer researchers' obesity ad more memorable and hopefully making this very podcast episode more popular. To find out if more people listen to this episode than average, then sign up to my newsletter. I'll share the results on Friday. To sign up, head to nudgepodcast.com and click newsletter in the menu. You'll get just two emails a week, one on Monday announcing each episode and one separate behavioural science tip on Friday. You can unsubscribe at any time. It is totally free. I want to say a massive thank you to Richard Shotton for coming on Nudge. His brilliant book, The Illusion of Choice, is easily the best behavioural science book I've read this year. I've left a link to it in the show notes. Richard will be back on Nudge sharing a few more behavioural science tips very soon as well. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss those. And before you go, let me ask you a question. Have you subscribed to Nudge or followed Nudge on Apple Podcasts or Spotify recently? See, subscribing really helps the show grow and rise the charts. And I also send every single person who subscribes an email containing (laughs) So make sure you subscribe to Nudge. I wouldn't want you to miss out.